Hi, I'm former bovine poet laureate Michael Banyan, and I've just launched a new podcast, Jumanji CWS. That's could, would, should. CWS. It's the podcast that takes you back to Hollywood in 1995 and talks to the real people who could have been involved in Jumanji but weren't asked, the people who would have been involved with Jumanji had they not been unsuccessful in their application process, and the people who should have been involved with Jumanji but weren't for various reasons, often politics. CWS. In season one of Jumanji CWS, I talked to the actor who could have got into Jumanji if he'd been auditioned and passed the audition. I didn't even hear about the auditions. So the first I knew about Jumanji, I was watching Jumanji. The producer, producer. who would have been involved in Jumanji but had insufficient experience to be considered. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. The nephew nephew. of a guy who worked for an LA-based catering company at the time that could have been in the mix while they were choosing a catering company for Jumanji. I don't actually know if they formally put themselves forward for Jumanji. I don't even know if he's actually my uncle. I think he's just kind of one of my dad's close buddies. That's Jumanji CWS with me, Michael Banyan. CWS. Hello, and welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and printed magazine, brought to you by Jumanji CWS. CWS. The new podcast from the former bovine poet laureate Michael Banyan. And this month, we were lucky enough to get an interview with the man himself. For those of you who don't know, Banyan was formerly the Bovine Poet Laureate until he was stripped of his title by the Bovine Farmers Union after he disgraced them with a foul-mouthed drunken rant at an award ceremony. Then, as a punishment, a cow's face was sewn onto his face and he was told he had to leave the UK. So he went to Spain, where he lived in exile until he was found by the angry Bovine Farmers Union president, Runyon Cradge, who then died in the course of a high-speed donkey chase. Luckily, with Cranch dead and the interim leadership council of the Bovine Farmers Union, who are now in charge, taking a much less hard-line view on Banyan, it was safe for him to return to the UK. We spoke about his new podcast and how he has found moving back to the UK from Spain. But first, as you'll hear, we got a bit hung up on the moon. Michael, uh, welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. It's great to see you down the link. Hi. Last time we spoke, you had just left Spain. That's right. Of course. Um, mm. How long has it been since we uh, since we last talked? It seems like a while. Oh, yes. Many moons. Many moons. Um, 18 moons, I think. In, uh, well, well, no, it wasn't 18 days ago. Maybe it was 18 months ago. Well, um, it, yeah, eight, well 18 moons. That's right. Yeah, 18, 18 months, 18 moons. Same, same. I don't think that's what people mean when they say many moons. I think they mean... The moon rising and falling, and so there's one moon per day. I think in that, but obviously they're talking metaphorically. Well, no, there's, there's, throughout that time, it's, it's, throughout that no, eighteen month period, it's, there the is just is one a, moon. It's a, it's a lunar cycle, isn't it? So every month, the moon, the the, the you know the the, the 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 latest moon goes across the sky and disappears into the sun, uh, and then there's no, no moon, and then the next no. moon, next moon comes along, the next month. So no, it's eighteen the same of them. Moon, the whole, it's the same moon the whole time. <laughs> well, they, they look very similar, obviously, because they're, they're moons, but. Obviously, they're round and yellow. That's uh, you've heard the phrase "the moon." Yes, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yes, it's the moon. It's the uh, the, the the prime minister. It doesn't mean it's the same 
same one is it? it's more of a roll isn't it which which the, the um whichever large spherical rock is hurtling through the sky is is is, is current is the the, the moon uh, of the month yes it's just one moon oh really it's not a new moon every month oh i thought it was a new moon Sorry, I, I always assume moons were just coming at us. You're wrong hmm. about this. Well, I just I think thought the phrase many moons, you know, suggests there's more than one, doesn't it? I understand that. I do understand that. And and maybe when people say many moons, they they mean many moon cycles, which are monthly. So maybe you could say it's been 18 moons since I saw you last, but it is still just the same one moon. And po- poets have talked about moon, Sorry, poets have been talking about moons for, for thousands of years, haven't they? So. You yourself wrote the poem... A thousand moons. A thousand moons, exactly. That was... But I thought it was an allegory. So with every moon that you said in the poem dipped into the sun, that was like the end of a day a day that you can never get back. I thought that's kind of what that meant. No, it's a moon that you can never get back because the, because the moon because the moon exp- the moon the, the moons explode every time that they end up in the sun, don't they? Every year at Christmas that we celebrate. How do they wait until Christmas then to explode? They just hang around the sun. Well, they obviously it's gravity, isn't there? So the moons they don't go straight into the sun. The moons they, they they pass the Earth. They sort of curb. Gravity curbs them, and they kind of spiral. They kind of spiral down into the sun as if into a, into a kind of hot drain. Right. Yeah. Again, I'm just going to make this clear. This isn't this isn't what happens. But when 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 you thought that's what was happening, mm. was there any evidence in your mind that the moons were exploding on Christmas Day? I felt the the, um, the the candles and 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 the shining lights. You know, there's an emphasis on on bright bursts of, of light, isn't there, on Christmas? There's the, the, the shining lights on the tree and the uh, the candles and so on. I, I, I always assumed that that was linked to the, uh, the the fizzing and exploding moons going into going into the sun. I mean, as I describe it now, it does feel feel like it probably deserves a bit of, a bit of looking into. It's something I might it might be something I look into. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to look into it because it has been looked into by scientists going back thousands of years, none of whom I think tried out this particular theory, though. So you, I guess you're right to, uh, in that respect. Well, if it hasn't been tested, it can't be ruled out. As far as I know, that's how science works, isn't it? So you'd need, you'd need to test it out. You'd need a control moon um, to, or a placebo, someone who wasn't looking at, uh, looking at the moon uh, and someone who was looking at the moon and... Um, Get, get them to write down their findings, um, I, I suppose. I let, let's imagine that experiment taking place. Yeah. The person who's looking at yeah, the moon... A scientist, not just anyone. Right. Just, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a good scientist, but carry on, yeah. Uh, okay, so decent yeah, like, scientist. Yeah, just solid, you know, good good university. Someone really high up is going to be probably too busy with their own stuff to be doing this. Yeah, so, sort of so you're probably, probably going to have to lower of, your expectations yeah, a bit. Yeah, Nottingham. Nottingham University. That kind of range, yeah. Solid. Okay, so like a, a solid red brick university. A good red brick university with, um, you know, with um, quite sort of modern canteen. Rounded chrome handles are, are on the doors, and the doors are all, almost every door in the entire university. Five or six squash courts and a, and a, and a small Starbucks concession within within walking distance of the, of the squash courts. So, so yeah, a, a, there's a, a fully branded, you know, with all the livery... Starbucks uh, concession, yeah, you know, within within the sports hall area. Sounds nice. Everything works, but probably a slight sense of of, of of despair coming off the carpet tiles. Just low level despair. And the vice chancellor has um, clearly got some skeletons in the cupboard. Let's say, not no one's quite clear 
what happened. Like the university may have taken money from the Libyan regime of uh, Colonel Gaddafi, for example. That kind of thing. In return for giving his son Saif al-Gaddafi a PhD, for example. E.g. that sort of area, yeah. So they could build a new toilet block. So they could build uh, uh, a block that's entirely dedicated to to toilet, rather than than having the toilets equally spread throughout the campus, invested in an entire sort of deluxe toilet block uh, with with maybe five or six floors uh, of toilets, all different kinds of toilets, different shapes and sizes, just an area where basically people from the university, from the staff, you know, right down to the students, uh, the, the cleaners, caterers, right up to the top professors, everyone, uh, you know, shitting, shitting under the same roof. And relaxing. And relaxing. Possibly even even video link-up facilities between the toilet cubicles so that people can exchange ideas, test theories, you know, things that are coming to them while, while they're in that state of nature, that, that, that relaxed, that, that truly... The, the only truly relaxed moment, you know, you could argue that a human being ever has. Um, if people could be linked up in that state, maybe um, audio tubes, they talk down. Well, the Romans uh, famously would, would sit in a kind of communal area and, and all be in that, as you say, state of relaxation. Exactly. And that's probably why they became the foremost power in uh, Western Europe and the Near East mm. in the late BCs. No coincidence, some would argue. Oh, yeah, it's interesting that. Mm. So, we're, we're slightly straying from the point, but that it's that sort of university. And yeah. I don't think that I don't think that really exists actually, especially not the huge sort of omni toilet block. I don't think that exists in any UK university. No, but it's um, it's definitely an interesting idea, isn't it? I think I think you know you know we need to be thinking creatively. So to do your experiment with the moon, maybe a scientist who is open to that kind of thinking. Is the kind of person you're after? I, yeah, I don't want anyone, ex, you know, excessively dogmatic. You want someone who's well read, but not maybe wasn't paying attention to every page. So this person there looking up at the moon, and they seeing it going through its usual, you know, crescent moon, full mm. moon cycle. Mm. In the meanwhile, your placebo person, yep. they are also procured from that university, maybe, uh, but they're not signed. So maybe they work in the Starbucks. It doesn't really matter where, um, where they're from exactly, as long as they're roughly the same height. And I think you'd have to probably, probably want to put them in the same clothes for the duration of the um, of the, uh, the experiment. Are they sitting on one of the toilets during the experiment? Uh, That's a nice idea. They could be in some... Because I think, I, I think the toilets at the top would probably have panoramic views for stargazing. So, yeah, maybe they could be, they could be on the roof. They could be in the roof toilets, yeah. Nice idea. Okay, well... Uh, you know, I'm, I haven't got the the funds to to commission this study myself, but it, you know, we've got lots of influential listeners, and so maybe we can get this going. I'd love to. I'd love. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it tested. I mean, for me, it's always been a given that the the, the, the moon's disappearing into the sun. But um, I, you know, I'm fully prepared to uh, to have that uh, to have that put to the test, and uh, yeah, let's explore. If you work at a major university and are interested in building a glass-ceilinged toilet block to carry out experiments to see if we indeed have a new moon every month, please drop us a line. I have to say you're looking uh, very good, uh, Michael. Uh, Long-time listeners will know that at the hands of the Bovine Farmers Union, after you had a a bit of a disagreement, Mm. they stitched a cow's face onto your face as a kind of punishment. Yes. Um, yes, and, and in the past, when I've interviewed you, you have looked, I would say, 
um, there's no other word for it, but disgusting. Mm. You know, it was hard for me to look at you. Rank. But yeah, there's something, something rank. I was, I was That's rank. the word I'd use. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually, you seem to have sort of grown into it. Mm. I can't really... Thank you. I, I'm not sure what it is that it's mm. working for you now. It's it's cow skin, so it's leather, and it just ages well. Now, last time we spoke, um, you were having to have injections directly into the, into the leather to keep mm. it supple. Uh, I think every two hours. Is that something you're still having to do? That's right. I did used to have to have an, uh, a qualified nurse um, do this process for me, but I can do it myself now. It's actually really quite easy. I self-administer the whole process. Every two hours, I just have to rub a mixture of paraffin and gravy into my face. That soaks down into the leather fibres, gets them nice and supple. So I leave that to soak in for about 40 minutes. That's about it. During that time, my face bloats up to about twice its usual volume. Um at that point, all I have to do is just wrap the whole thing in cling film and, and cram my head into a small hotel uh, minibar fridge, leave it in there for about 20 to 25 minutes because it needs to cool down quickly. Uh, so that quickly cools it down. Uh, the gravy paraffin mix, which is by this point is now congealed in with some face fats, that whole thing kind of solidifies into a, into a thick, viscous paste. Right. And then all I need to do then is uh, attach a, a special wick into my forehead, set fire to it, uh, and that just burns off. And, uh, and the whole thing just just burns off, turns into a gas, and then and then a red hot residue then sort of drips down, drips down off my face, and I catch that in a jam jar, and I sell that online. Oh, really? Mm. I guess it cools it down. Cools so you've down. got a kind of gravy. You've got a kind of a sort kind of, of, it's kind of a puck. A puck. It's a kind of it's a kind of like a wobbly puck. I sell it to farmers, and um, they rub it into hens, and uh, it makes them waterproof. And of course, the benefit of that to a farmer is that you can rear your hens underwater, which of course makes them instantly fox-proof. I imagine they do have to sell come up for air occasionally. So if you are an enterprising fox, you might wait there, ready for them to come up and take their gasp. Well, that's why I also now sell the... Um, so you get free... Basically, the whole package is you get the wobbly puck, you get 15 chicken snorkels, and you get an applicator glove. And, 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 you know, that's you're selling that specifically for chickens. Mm. Could you not waterproof anything else? Could you waterproof an old coat? Oh, no. That would... no. No, 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 no. Could you waterproof yourself? No. Oh, no, absolutely not. Please don't make that mistake. It really, really only works with hens. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, but um, if, you, if you try and waterproof yourself with this, you'll end up covered in sores. Your, your skin will sort of blister. You'll be blistering all over. You'll, be, you'll have sores weeping weeping sores and you'll have canker sores you'll have boils it, it's an absolute disaster for, for the skin did you don't do, do not rub this into anything other than a hen that is crucial and do try to use the applicator glove that's what it's there for what i don't understand is this substance seems to be quite dangerous to other people mm. um but you're rubbing that into your own face every day is that does that never cause problems uh, no, it very much can do. So I have to get the, the I have to get the proportion exactly right of, of paraffin and gravy. If not, um, uh, yeah, but things my face it, it can seize up quite badly. If that happens, I have an emergency syringe I carry with me at all times, uh, and I'm very good at it now. Um, and I just have to uh, inject it directly into my eye socket, and that contains a mixture of adrenaline, white wine vinegar, Nutella, and diesel. Um, I'll pass out for about a day, day and a half. And, uh, and then I'll be fine. I asked Michael how he was readjusting back to life in the UK. I did have a bit of culture shock actually coming back here. I mean, the attitude to chorizo is so different here. Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of chorizo here. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you don't have to walk yeah. far to find chorizo on a menu in this country. But uh, but here it's it's seen as a meat, whereas over there in in Spain it's a way of life. You know, chorizo. It, it, it's a it's, it's a see. greeting. It, 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 um, it can it can be. It can be a hat. It can be a... There's a sport called chorizo. Oh, really? It's a big, big sport in Spain. It's much, much bigger than football. It's huge in Spain. There's chorizo. So how does that work? Is is it like football, uh, but using a big round chorizo? No, or? it's more... Um, it, it's basically you're just chucking... Contestants are ch- chucking bits of chorizo uh, at a pillar. Uh, and the pillar's made of chorizo as well. Right. And how do, how do you win? How do you win that? Uh, every every time you, you one of your bits of chorizo hits the pillar... You eat a chorizo, an entire chorizo, and then you have to carry on going. And the idea is you get more points from hitting the chorizo pillar with the chorizo. But every time you eat a chorizo, it gets harder. I guess you'd feel pretty sluggish after a couple of chorizos. You feel very sluggish, and the, all the paprika goes up into your eyes. You get very bloodshot, and you're, um, you know, you get very all, all the fat starts seeping out through through your, through your skin pores. You get all you get very slick and, and very slimy and, and bloodshot in the eyes and comes very hard to stand up. So how long is this game lasting? Four and a half days. It's a bit like test cricket, actually. Uh, you know, you, you, it's very nice. You go along, go along in the morning with the family. You'll watch, you know, all the, the, uh, the chorizones, uh, who are very highly regarded, the, the, the people that compete in this, in this game. They come out to great acclaim, fabulously bedecked in, in, in tassels and, and pom-poms and uh, wonderful outfits. And, and you watch them start and, you know, by the end of the day, you may have seen six or seven of, the, of these people die, and it's it's, it's, it's fantastic to uh, from just over consumption of mm, treats. Yeah, of course, so. it's obviously fatal. The, the the amounts of treats that they're eating is obviously fatal. So, I've sometimes you know it's a bit like cricket. You can't guarantee it. Sometimes you'll turn up, and maybe only one, any maybe one one of these guys will die. But you know, on a, on a really good day, you get you get good, good seven or eight. When someone does pass away, I assume their liver will explode, probably visibly, I imagine, mm. after that much chorizo. Right. Or maybe just a full bowel drop. There'll be a lot of bowel drop. And, and obviously, members of the crowd are encouraged to um, chuck those, those, those pieces of bowel, you know, around, catch them. And, you know, if, if, you, catch a, if you catch a bit of the bowels, it's good luck. And also, I imagine, pretty delicious if it's, if it's that well, exactly. steeped it's, in chorizo. It's so steeped at that point. The paprika and the garlic has really penetrated through the whole... Bo- I mean, these people are basically living, breathing, uh, and then eventually dead uh, human chorizos. When someone does pass away, what's the feeling like in the stadium? Is it mm. like a huge cheer? Is it silence? You know, are you happy? Are you sad? Is it like mournful or is it celebratory? It feels like quite a conflicting... Mm kind of thing and that you know it seems like a very interesting sport because normally with a sport if someone scores mm-hmm. a goal you know how you're meant to feel don't you you're meant mm-hmm. to feel elation and, mm-hmm. and you're meant to feel hope that your team is going to win um it's not obvious to me what happens when you watch a human chorizo man die mm, the best way to describe it is probably imagine um imagine having an orgasm and being told you've won the lottery at the same time and being handed a birthday cake it's just the most incredible rush. I, 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 it, it seems a little bit odd to me, but it, it's just the most wonderful, gut-wrenching scream of, of sort of primal joy and pleasure that you get, really. And, and you know, you'll see, you'll, you'll see children really just, just screaming, screaming with pleasure. It's, it's a wonderful sight to see these little infants just, you know, they're all, um, they're all sort of bug-eyed and, uh, and just, just screaming and, Te- tearing bits of tearing bits of of, of viscera uh, to pieces in their teeth, smearing it on their siblings and so on. 
Oh, it's it's the it's it's the essence of life and death, Chorizo. You know, to to to, to the Spanish. They're deeply passionate, deeply alive people, and also and also deeply dead when they die. No, no one dies as hard as a Spaniard. Hi, I'm former bovine poet laureate Michael Banyan, and I've just launched a new podcast, Jumanji CWS. That's could, would, should. In this new podcast series, don't miss my stunning interview with a guy who was meant to be driving a van around the set of Jumanji, but had to pull out because he woke up with diarrhoea. And I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't have ordered those prawns. Just let that sink in. This guy should have been on the set of Jumanji. It was on the walls. It was on the ceiling. That's Jumanji CWS with me, Michael Banyan. Find it wherever you get your Jumanji podcasts. CWS. It was like hot soup. CWS. In the past... Michael was one of the most successful poets on the planet, regularly selling out small cafes, medium-sized university classrooms, and tiny independent bookshops. But along with that rock star status came a rock star lifestyle. Partying. Drugs. Drinking. Lager. Lager was like air to me at one point. And many Banyan fans, myself included, were worried that once Michael was back in the UK, surrounded by the British literary establishment and their hell-raising ways, he'd slip back into the old Michael. Banyan told me that he had wanted to come back into the country quietly so as not to alert the literati. But it wasn't to be. As soon as I arrived in, uh, in, in Gatwick from Spain, my phone started pinging. I turned on my phone and, and I saw that I'd, I'd been sent 12 obscene gifts by Ian McEwan. So Ian McEwan, the famous novelist, also uh, makes his own gifts. Um, oh, he makes his own. They're generally of him reenacting uh, iconic moments from history uh, with a lewd twist. So, so hang on. So you're sitting on the on the runway, mm. I guess, and you turn your phone yeah. on, and here come the gifts. Yeah, from I, so I had sexy Napoleon. I had I had um, naughty Bodicea. It was um, naughty Nebuchadnezzar. That was the one where I knew I was in trouble. That that was a sign to me, which is you're back and it's party time, and we're we're going to get Babylonian. Um, and uh, I knew that the literate, you know, I, I was back, and they and they wanted to get they wanted a party hard, and but I'd been basically been teetotal for a year, and I, and I wasn't going to let myself fall back into that into that routine. So I walked out into into arrivals at Gatwick, and obviously my heart sank when I saw Salman Rushdie waiting for me, his face looking more like a collapsed turnip than ever, and, and holding a sign with my drinking name on it. Colonel Thunderbus and a tray of shots. Ah, and right. so yeah, they wanted old. They old wanted Banyan old Banyan back. back because, frankly, you know, I I was the life and soul of the party in those days, and you know, like Jim Morrison and many before me, that that was a, that's the route to self. You know, that's the route to self destruction, and I and I didn't want to be on that bus. I didn't want to be on the Thunderbus anymore. So I tried to slip past him. Of course, the cow's face drew his attention. So two seconds later, Salman Rushdie had his arms around me, whispering in my ear, it's five o'clock. That's when I realised that everyone was there. I looked around that terminal. It was crawling with literati. Pretty much every Booker Prize winner from the last 20 years was there. Katsuo Ishiguro was absolutely off his, off his tree. He was in Sunglasses Hut. Uh, and he'd, he'd put a pair of uh, Ray-Bans on his penis. Right. They were waiting for me. 
and you know they they were they were enjoying themselves you know my my my, my flight was delayed i think by about 45 minutes so um these aren't the kinds of people that just that, that wait in a line they start having fun so jermaine greer she was going around on the, uh, going around on the uh one of the baggage carousels going through people's luggage taking out the sun creams and squeezing out all the cream and lobbing it at children and the elderly. Uh, Martin Amis had got control of the public address system somehow. He was reading out sections from London Fields. So obviously this was causing chaos. You know, customers were angry. There were people who were missing their planes. You know, they wanted flight information. They were just getting absolutely turgid prose, you know, baffling, impenetrable prose. Um, Margaret Atwood, she'd hijacked a shuttle bus and was uh, driving it on the runway, racing the planes. Absolute chaos. You know, of course, novelists, you know, uh, love airports for two reasons. They love writing about how an airport is a kind of, you know, liminal space that isn't quite, you know, it's an interzone. It's not It's not one place or another. It's a, it's a kind of interesting space for the, the mind to sort of explore. And also that the pubs are open 24 hours and then get utterly shit-faced. You've mentioned there that there's all these novelists there. In the past, it's not just been... Uh, novelists and poets, of course, um, someone who's figured mm. quite heavily in a lot of your more hell-raising moments uh, yes, is the actor yeah, Mark Rylance. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, was he, was uh, he Yeah, there? he was in Duty Free. Um, he does a thing where he dresses up as a giant M&M. Obviously, he's, uh, you know, he, he's very compelling. He's Rylance, so you, you really do believe he's, he's got, a, got a nut inside him. Which, which of the M&Ms is he dressing as? Is it the the red sort of dickheady one or the, uh, the yellow red, the, dopey the, one? The, yeah, yeah, the the the, 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 the dickhead. dickhead one. Yeah, 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 the dickhead. But but of course, in the hands of Rylance, it's it's so much more complex than that. Uh, he's very very layered, you know. And this is what he does when when he's in an airport. Rylance, he he dresses up as the M M&M, and M, goes up to the cashier in uh, in the duty free with uh, with two massive boxes of Marlboro Lights. Uh, the cashier says, "Can I see your boarding card?" At which point, Rylance says, "This is the only boarding card I need." Pulls out his BAFTA and pushes his tongue through the eye hole. Wow! These people are monsters. These people. These people have no respect. You know, when you're with them, it's fun. I'm not going to deny it. I've done that routine with with Rylance in airports. You've pushed I've, your tongue through. I've his, pushed through my his tongue BAFTA. through his BAFTA. I've pushed an Oscar up his ass. Really? Right. In the duty free shopping area of an airport. Hmm. Right. So you you get off your flight. You get into the terminal. They obviously clock you, and I, I assume then you're you're faced with a choice. Mm. You know, you can get involved, go into the pret, and start um, kicking the sandwiches yeah. at the staff, huffing uh, absinthe out of mm. Alan de Botton's hands, whatever it is that you might be doing. There's that path ahead of you, and then there's another path. And it sounds to me like you took the other path. I very much did. I, I put my head down. I pushed Salmon Rushdie. I... I Pushed him into a WH Smiths, and, um, and and here you are today. Now, is looking back, I can understand why you made that choice. Do you ever regret doing that? Could things have been different? Yeah, I, I, I think I made the right decision. I mean, I might, I might not have a career, but I, but I I, I, th- I think you know, if, if I had if I had gone back to hanging out with those guys right now, you'd be talking to a dead man. I mean, a dead man with a smile on his face, but a dead man, and not because you'd eaten. 20 chorizos not because they didn't 20 chorizos no probably because me and caroline duffy had smoked a fatal dose of crack in a spaghetti house michael's shunning of the literary establishment that day in gatwick airport 
meant that not a single publisher would pick up the phone, and he hasn't published a single piece of poetry this year. However, Michael isn't one to take things lying down. I did what anyone does when, um, you know, when you can't get your work published uh, and when no one fundamentally cares what you have to say, I started a podcast. Hi, I'm former bovine poet laureate Michael Banyan, and I've just launched a brand new podcast, Jumanji CWS. That's could, would, should. In this brand new podcast series, don't miss my incredible interview with a woman who could have played one of the lead roles in Jumanji had she not been born in 1998. The thing is, I just wasn't alive. In this exclusive interview, I get to the bottom of what it takes to be someone who could have been in Jumanji were it not for one insurmountable obstacle. I'm also an absolutely terrible actor. That's Jumanji CWS with me, Michael Banyan. Find it wherever you get your Jumanji podcasts. CWS. Oh, I also wasn't in Space Jam. CWS. CWS. I asked Michael why he chose to make a Jumanji podcast in a market that is already so crowded. What, what can I say? It's, um, uh, it's a bandwagon and I've jumped on. It must feel like you're at the bottom of Everest and you're looking up at the summit. And of course, up there is uh, Jumanjaniacs. <laughs> That's, yes. Well, I mean, obviously, my humble Jumanji podcast, I, I don't expect it to hold a candle to what the, 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 the Jumanjaniacs have achieved. Deep diving into uh, the Jumanji lore. It's a, it's, a, it's a cultural institution. You, you make a good point there. You know, that podcast, although on hiatus at the moment, has turned over every stone. Mm. In, in my mind, there's not a, a single frame of that film that hasn't been explored in, mm-hmm. in great depth. Mm. And we're not just talking about Jumanji Next. Of course, you've got the other Jumanji podcast. We've got Jumanji with Angie. You know, Angie's a huge celebrity in her own right these days. That's right. Um, then there's Germanji, the, the, the German... Um, German people talking about Jumanji, the, the German Yeah, and it's podcast. very worth, if you can get the translations, it's very worth listening to. I actually one. like to listen to um, it in the original German. Do you, do you get anything uh, from it? You don't speak German. The only word I, I, I recognise and understand clearly is, is Jumanji, which obviously comes up quite a lot. Um, mm. But it's nice just just just, take, just taking part in the rhythm of it. Jumanginus is, is, a, is a big one. Yeah, uh, people with very, very high IQs talking about Jumanji. Some incredible stuff recently. Last week, of course, they talked to the team at CERN who were behind finding the... Higgs boson. Yes. And they, they revealed that actually the the inspiration for doing that was the film Jumanji. That's right. Because they thought if a board game can lead you into a, into a, into an imaginary jungle, think what you could achieve with a huge sort of um collider. I th- I think I, I think it just it just opened up their imaginations to what was possible because a board game of course is circular, isn't it? Like 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 the um the Hadron Collider. And uh, and indeed it was it was an interesting perspective to hear that actually what they were trying to find wasn't really the Higgs boson at all. They were just trying to um, get it so that a rhino would come out. That's what the Higgs boson, initial, the initial sketches of what they thought the Higgs boson was going to be was, as you say, a, a, a rhino, which they thought was going to gallop out of that hole and run round and round in circles. And they didn't really have a plan, particularly with what they were going to do with the rhino. They just wanted to get it in there, sort of take it from there. The sad bit was when they revealed that the beginning of the experiment, when they first had the collider, and they weren't really sure what to do with it. They, you know, they'd raised billions and billions of euros to build the thing, mm. and there was a lot of pressure on them to do something useful with it. And they say they've they've wiped the tapes, but apparently you can get them. And them just ushering rhinos into it mm. to see what would happen, mm. and you know, they they become pastasaurs very quickly. They do, and they become. Uh, I think I believe it's the Dolmio arabiata range. Huge scandal when that comes out. I mean, yeah. we're talking about it openly here. It 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 seemingly hasn't 
sort of got through to the mainstream yet that if you do buy a, mm. a jar of Dolmio Arabiata, that is made by basically sending a rhino at the speed of light through a tunnel. Turns it into hot paste. And um, and I believe that'll be the, Arabi- the, uh, the Arabiata range until about, they're thinking about 20, 2045, around then, they'll, they'll have... They'll have you know, they'll have finished the rhinos and, and um, it'll go back to being um, what it was before, which is, of course, a uh, just a, a mixture of tomatoes and peppers. Yeah, it's, it's not clear to me why they don't use the tomatoes and peppers anyway. You know, it seems a lot easier than uh, than trying to catch a rhino mm. and then trying to coax it into the collider must be hard because it's hard to get a rhino to do anything, You, I would imagine. It's a colossal piss take, the whole thing. Because you'd assume, wouldn't you, you know, the, the cost of a, a jar of Dolmio Arabiata sauce is probably sixty nine or something like that, in a, in a yeah. local corner shop. But the actual cost of that mm. must be in the billions oh, it's, per it's jar. It's running at a huge loss. A huge, huge, huge loss. But they can't admit that now. You know, the whole thing's become a become a vicious, a vicious, a vicious circle. Quite literally a vicious circle. Well, precisely. And they're ushering in more and more rhinos and churning out more and more Ar- Arabiata you know, the the fact is they'd be better off cancelling the range. Just going back to t- tomato and basil, bit of oregano and salt, you know. That's all you really need. Yeah. As we were talking about, the, the number of, of Jumanji podcasts mm. is, is incredible. Yeah. But I would say that that means for someone starting a new Jumanji podcast, it's going to be very hard to find a niche. And I think that's where you've done something very clever indeed, Michael. No one else has done this yet. And that's amazing yes. in a very crowded marketplace. Well, what I thought was... Um, you know, Jumanji, it's been covered, as you say, from every angle. I thought, what can I bring? What can I bring? Bearing in mind, I, ha- I have no special connections to, to Jumanji. I have no uh, special knowledge of Jumanji. Because there were, there were rumours, though, that you were brought in as a script doctor. <laughs> I wish. I applied to be brought in as a script doctor. But it turned out that the script was literally perfect. Didn't actually need any doctoring at all. Which is, I believe, the only script, the only, the only Hollywood script that's ever been declared perfect. The perfect script, and there is nothing about that that movie. What would you change about that film? It's a question that's raised by the existence of the sequels. I think. Yeah, the, yeah. I'd, ra- I'd rather we didn't talk about those. Do you mind? It's a bit, bit of a. I don't want to get angry. And listen, it makes me angry too. I, you know, just don't understand <sighs> why. Why, they them, why you idiots? Why? It's Jumanji. It's finished. It's done. It's perfect. Fucking up. Fuck off. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. No, I feel I feel exactly the oh. same way. Piss off and die. Piss off. The rock. I'll take a piss on that rock. Shit on that rock. Sorry. Jack. Jack Black. Come off it. I mean... He was perfectly. He was. He was. He was fine in School of Rock, but it, it's not. You know, you don't put Rob Schneider in King Lear. But even King Lear isn't perfect. You know, Jumanji, I think, stands above. Of course, you know, Shakespeare was a great mm. playwright. I'm not saying anything. Again, you know, but you know, you could do Othello too with Jack Black, and I, I, I'm sure that's in the pipeline. I'd watch it. I think every other work of literature every other work of art you you can argue is is a sort of a, a drafts on the way to jumanji everything is preparing the way for jumanji that, that's what culture's been if someone was listening to this now thinking this is a bit overblown i'm skeptical about this what if they were to say 
I'll put this to you, uh, Michael. The Sistine Chapel is a is a wonderful transcendent piece of visual art. I don't see how that connects to Jumanji coming out several hundred years later. Well, think about it. There's God pointing his finger at Adam. And there's that connection, isn't there, between the fingers. He's giving him life. He's transforming him. He is making his ordinary life turn into something else, turn into a rhino, for example. So you think that in, in what we're seeing in the Sistine Chapel is the moments before God turns Adam into a rhino? I believe that there was a second chapel planned. It was supposed to be a sequence. And in the second one, Adam was going to be a rhino. And had we seen this second chapel and maybe, you know, who's to say a third or fourth mm. chapel with a continuation of exactly. the plot? Exactly. It was going to be a sort of comic, a bit like a comic strip where you look up, but of course, budget-wise, it was crazy. And they, they had to stop it after the first panel. That's essentially what happened. And there is, of course, the theory that, you know, many of the great composers died young and they didn't always finish all of their works. They left behind unfinished symphonies. And there's the theory that had they finished that mm. symphony and and scientists and musicians have, have tried to sort of keep going along the lines of what they were mm. creating there, you end up with the, the theme from Jumanji. Yeah, and it's a compelling theory. Also, I mean, Beethoven's fifth. Duh, 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 duh. Have you ever heard a, a rhino walking, walking along? Uh, I've seen a, a number of rhinos being ushered into a a van that was going towards the Large Hadron Collider. So, yes, I and have. And that will yeah. ring a bell then, won't it? Da, 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 da. Four. Four steps. Rhinos have four legs. Da, 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 da. And that's the rhythm they tend to walk in. It's da, 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 da. The last two are slightly quicker. Da, 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 da. And that's amazing because Beethoven didn't even know that Jumanji existed. Or did he? Precisely. I think he knew that it was coming. If this is true, and I, I, and I, I have to say, I don't like to give my own opinion often on this show because I like to be neutral and I like to be journalistic but I think you're you're really on mm. something here and it's something that I I I, I agree with I'm going to mm. say it is there something not quite tragic about that though that the human culture peaked in 1995 you know we should have seen it because the following year the biggest film was Space Jam mm. it was like coming down from a, from a, a, a high peak and suddenly we're back in the valley the dark valley mm. of basketball based nonsense yeah. And from there, it's been down and down and down and down. And you know, you watch films these days like The Shape of Water, just complete nonsense. Absolute rubbish. Tenet. It's total, total crap. Any film I can name. They're all you know, rubbish. Since Jumanji. They're all terrible. The Artist. Sorry to cut you off. The Artist. Piss. I mean, The absolute Artist won an Oscar for best, yeah. best movie. Well, it's absolute crap. No one even talks about it anymore. Absolute bilge. It seems like you agree with me. There's something deeply, deeply tragic about the fact that we've now been going 25 years mm. and we're on the other side of the slope. It is sad, but on the other hand, you know, we've seen it. We've, we've been lucky enough, you know, only a small proportion of people ever been born have actually got to watch Jumanji. Yeah, that is true. I, I'm certainly glad to have been born in the 20th century and be part of the golden generation who got to see it in the cinema. Although, of course, and, and this is one of the more outlandish series, I don't, I don't know if you've heard this, I don't know what you make of this, but there is the argument that the only way the Egyptians could have motivated the workers to build the pyramids was to show them Jumanji on, on huge screens as they worked, because that would have been the only way that they could have motivated them in the, in the desert heat. What do you make of that one? 
Well, if you do look at some of the hieroglyphs from the uh, the tomb of Ramesses III, it, it, it is actually uh, the storyboard of, of Jumanji. So did, what does that tell us? That that they saw it or that they wrote it? Or I think it tells us that it's it is it's not it's not inconceivable that every couple of millennia Jumanji is created culture comes to an end the, the civilization destroys itself and then uh, a new civilization is born which again heads towards Jumanji and that we're in an infinite cycle Now, this is all fascinating stuff, Michael, but all this stuff is covered quite mm. thoroughly by a, a number of Jumanji podcasts that are out there. And I'm just trying to bring us on to your podcast, mm. really, because you've realised that that's been covered, and I think that's a that's a very intelligent step, and you found your own little niche, and I think it's a great one. So this is your chance just to, you know, we've got a big listenership. Um, this is your chance just to get them hooked, give them the elevator pitch, um, and get them subscribed to listen to... Uh, the your Jumanji podcast. So give us the give us the give us the pitch. So yeah, so um, my podcast uh, is called Jumanji CWS. CWS and uh, the CWS stands for um, Could Would Should. It's all about talking to people who weren't involved in the making or the production of Jumanji in any way, but could, would, or should have been. It's essentially going right back to the time, right back to LA, Hollywood, nineteen ninety five. Who are the people who weren't involved? You know, to say, I'm the director of Jumanji. You can only say that knowing that there are six billion people out there who, who aren't the director of Jumanji. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. But also, truly, could that person ever really say they were the director of Jumanji? That's like saying, you know, they're the sole custodian of world culture. Mm-hmm. It's just not true, is it? No, that's true. It's, 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 it's taken a million human geniuses created that film uh, since, since, since the first time one of our very, very ancient ancestors first picked up a rock and started, you know, scraping it along a larger rock. That's where it started, the inception of culture. From that moment till 1995, that's the human story. You know, it's done. Because I like to think, you know, the first time that that half fish, half monkey yeah, creature it's gills, clawed its way out with a huge blue anus. Yeah, the first time that, that thing clawed its way out of the, the boiling sea... Yeah. And it looked up at the horizon. It's gross, scaly eyes, fangs sticking out of its gills. It's got gills with fangs sticking through. A sort of half beak, half mouth. Half beak, half mouth. And a, a pouch with one of its hideous, shiny cubs. And that thing looked at the horizon, and it looked at the world around it that it had inherited. And I like to think that even if it's in a rudimentary and very early, nascent way, mm. it thought, this is the canvas on which we create Jumanji. Mm. The other thing to remind people, by the way, is that, you know it, it is it actually holds up it holds up all right as a film as well. It's actually not a you know it's not a bad not a bad watch. You, you, you could certainly do worse than uh, yeah. Actually, it's decent as a film. Yeah, it's a solid it's a solid three stars. I think it's okay, isn't it? I mean, certainly as a film, it's a kind of family. You know, if you go into mm. it th- looking for your Citizen Kane. Yeah. You're not going to find it, but but Citizen Kane, as we've established, was just a step on the way exactly. to Jumanji. The idea that Citizen Kane mm-hmm. is in some way you put it on a higher shelf. I mean, that's no. that's ridiculous. No, the, the fact is, the point 
you know what everything in human culture has been has been heading towards is a workable as you say three star solid sunday afternoon film okay an okay film you wouldn't watch it on christmas day you might watch it the day after boxing day but doesn't that say something about who we are as human beings mm. you know that's that's what we are you know we are at best three star we're a three star species and it's a three and and uh, jumanji is a three star film and that's why it's the perfect three stars no other film hits that perfect balance point of being funny but not that funny moving but not that moving the concept being interesting but not brilliant the effects being entertaining but not compelling and and when you do see a film that the critics rate as a five-star film Mm. i watch it and i think well this doesn't tally with my experience of what human beings are like exactly you know we are somewhat disappointing some of the time Mm. but we're ultimately fine often you know that's what i want to see reflected back at me on the screen i want the screen to be like a mirror on society and when i see something brilliant and confounding Mm. and transporting and transcendent i just think who are you trying to impress who do you think we are because we ain't this we're jumanji we're jumanji you know we are a loose set of ideas based around a a semi-interesting premise michael banyan thank you so much for coming and talking to us about the podcast and um and i wish you all the best thank you so much it's been a huge pleasure a big thank you to michael banyan for that interview and jumanji cws CWS. is out now and before i go i just want to talk about some feelings that michael's podcast brought up for me realizing that jumanji is the apotheosis of human culture and also at the same time realizing that you weren't involved in it can be hard the knowledge that you didn't have a front row seat that you were just a bystander in mankind's defining performance. But, you know what, I've come to realise that it's okay. And I've come to realise that, if I'm honest, Jumanji would have been worse for my involvement. It, it, It was perfect, and I could have only made it worse. If you ever feel disappointed that you weren't involved in mankind's crowning cultural achievement, just use the following affirmation. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. And I realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I would have ruined I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I've come to realize that now.
real. Jumanji fucking sucks. Shut your mouth. Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than me. I realize that now. CWS. So, that's all we've got time for this month. But if you're after more beef and dairy news, get over to our website now, where you can read all the usual stuff, as well as our off-topic section, which this month includes our rundown of the top 100 bits in songs where the singer goes, maybe. Until next time, beef out. Thanks to Henry Packer, Hal Lublin, Angela Sullivan, and everyone who realised that Jumanji needed someone bigger and better than them. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hello, this is Steve from Albany talking about my favourite podcast, Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a show where listeners submit their crazy ideas for game shows and the two hosts have to play them and they often bring in celebrities and small children to share in the pain and hilarity. At first it might seem like Joe Firestone has a contentious relationship with listeners, but that is only mostly true. She actually really respects us. It's a lot like Lethal Weapon where Joe is like, oh listeners, you're all loose cannons. You're out of control. And we're like, no Firestone, you're too by the book. You've forgotten what it's like out there. And that's why I love the show. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill is the new Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.